Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching um, on the book of Exodus. Um, The book of Exodus, uh, the miracles there, as the um, author of Hebrews reminds us, find their fulfillment in Jesus. And uh, the reading today from the book of Exodus is a significant one, if not the most significant moment in the Old Testament, God's parting and Israel's crossing of the Red Sea. Two obstacles stand between Israel and their freedom. You have Pharaoh and his large army behind them, and then a big body of water in front of them called the Red Sea. And the people are stuck here in between literally the proverbial rock and a hard place. But God has a plan. As Ben DeHart famously says, God is about to make a way out of no way. He will save his people. Now, if you begin in verse 19, where our lectionary reading begins at today, you would believe that at this moment Israel is as cool as a cucumber, And the pillar of cloud simply moves between Israel and the armies of Egypt, and everyone is fine. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Israel, as a nation, is coming out of chattel slavery. And therefore, Israel, as a nation, has suffered a tremendous trauma. And so is Egypt for engaging in such activities. Trauma manifests itself in all sorts of ways. I think on one level we are seeing the trauma of 450 years of unresolved slavery and violence play out in our nation as well. And the contours of this trauma in our country look very similar to that of the book of Exodus, if you study it closely. In The Oppressor, It manifests itself in the forms of self-justification. What are we doing wrong? It's totally fine that Israel should get their own hay to make the bricks. The stubborn fight to preserve the old order of things. Hence, Pharaoh marches out, not just with a few folks, but with his entire army to bring back Israel, the backbone of their cheap labor. And trauma in the oppressed manifests itself in various ways. As you read in the early chapters of Exodus, you have Jews fighting Jews. And in Egypt, there is this profound desire, and you read it in the earlier verses here, to return back to that traumatic, unhealthy experience. Therapists, and it's in all of us who've suffered some sort of trauma, refer to the desire to return and repeat certain painful and destructive behaviors as repetition compulsion. The way that emotional trauma plays out for Israel right here, and indeed many of us caught in this cycle, the way it plays out is that the idea of being loved, the idea of being truly free, is so fleeting and foreign that a person actually begins to see it as their role to be the victim. Think about your own life just for a few minutes. 
We all have untreated trauma that manifests itself in all sorts of different forms of slavery. The Bible refers to this as sin. Sometimes in a reoccurring terrible relationship. Keep going back to the same kind of old abuses. Some of us, it manifests itself in eating disorders, in substance abuses, low self-esteem, fits of rage and anger issues, workaholism. My therapist is fond of reminding me that what has happened to you at seven can oftentimes take till you're 67 to work itself out. And that's exactly what's happening here at this moment in Exodus chapter 14. That trauma in the midst of real pressure being caught between the rock and the hard place starts to service. And Israel wants to return back to slavery. Beginning with the previous verses in verse 10, this chapter, we are told that Israel yells at Moses. And then in verse 11, they say, is, is it because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you would bring us out to the wilderness to die? And they go on and they say, let us alone that we may return back to Egypt. Return back to our oppressors and masters. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than it is to die in this wilderness. And even God knows Moses. Moses may have it together on the outside. But if you read in verse 15, because God knows the heart, he sees that Moses in this moment is a bowl of anxiety. And God says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And then he instructs, and now we're at our moment in the reading, he instructs Moses to stretch his hand out over the sea. And the pillar of cloud, which is God-mediated, God-mediated, moves in between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And what this is telling us is that God is going to continue to fight for Israel. And God is going to continue to fight for and save traumatized people. And this is my first point. The people of Israel have suffered a huge trauma. Maybe you in your life have suffered a huge trauma. COVID, everything going on politically, has opened that trauma up in your life. And salvation, God's presence, real freedom from your perspective only looks like more death. Remember Jesus from a couple of weeks ago in our gospel reading? Whoever gains his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. What we see happening in Israel is natural within all of us. It's the cry of the sinner that slavery is better than freedom because freedom from our perspective oftentimes looks incomprehensible. Freedom, God working in our lives, can oftentimes in this age appear like a giant Red Sea. It can appear like a cross. It can appear like the death of all you know. We can't see freedom oftentimes, so we need to hear God speak it. We need
need to hear it. Because God oftentimes hides himself in this age in things that appear difficult and things that appear to be the crosses of our lives. And this is why God moves behind Israel in between them and Egypt. Not simply for protection, but to obscure at that moment Israel's traumatized vision of the past. So at this moment, looking backwards to the sinful and oppressive past, no matter how dreamy it may appear... That's not an option for Israel at this moment. And as Moses stretches out his arms over the sea, this strong east wind begins to blow, and the Red Sea miraculously begins to part. And in the midst of real fear, all Israel has at this moment is faith. That great idea of the Reformation. All they have is faith alone. And this is my second point. Faith doesn't magically make your traumas and your fears go away. It doesn't magically make them disappear. If we are honest, fear is always with us in some form or fashion in this age. But rather instead, to quote theologian Gerald Jansen on this, Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is fear that takes itself to God and there finds the freedom and the voice both to call for God to act and give reassurance to others whose own fear only leads them backwards. I love that quote. Let me read it again. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is fear that takes itself to God and there finds the freedom and the voice both to call for God to act and give reassurance to others whose own fears only want to lead them backwards. And you see this as Israel crosses the Red Sea. And you see this, Christian, as God leads you across the Red Seas of your life. Your faith doesn't magically solve your fears. Rather, faith works through your fears and drives you forward in the direction where you are called to trust on God alone. And we're all rediscovering that in a fresh new way. And now here comes the real kicker. A lot of people want to downplay this miracle by talking about how Israel crossed a shallow place called the Sea of Reeds. I once heard a colleague preach like for 20 minutes on this, and I was like, are you kidding? That's your big idea? Um, it's nonsense. And it's to miss the point completely. But the Hebrew word here is yam, which means big water, huge sea, red sea. But that's not the point. The point is to teach you how God actually works in the world for our salvation. Now, this is very important in understanding how this story applies to you as a Christian. One of the central themes in the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Bible, and therefore it's one of the central themes of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, 
is that God is both the creator and the redeemer of the world. He's the savior of the world. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a very earthy God. He's not an otherworldly God of the pagans. So he redeems not through magic, but hidden through his creation. So if you want to interpret the book of Exodus properly, you interpret it through the lens of Genesis. And so when you read the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, if you remember, dry land is brought forth by the parting of water, and humankind is placed upon that land. And in the book of Exodus, the first section that's right before this moment is all about a fake god, Pharaoh, stepping to Yahweh and getting decimated. And the plagues illustrate the unraveling of that creation. The unraveling of that creation. But now, the God, Yahweh, who powerfully creates, but more wonderfully redeems and redeems traumatized people, traumatized slaves, once again, working as he does in creation, divides the water in order that Israel, he might place his son upon the dry land and leave behind the old and through the water come into a new creation as God's people. Rabbi Alder, my friend at the Brotherhood Synagogue, once told me when we were studying this text, That in this moment, most rabbis across Judaica agree that here is where Israel becomes a nation. And the New Testament, the church, the Israel of God, takes this scene from Exodus 14 very, very seriously. For we believe that this scene is a type and a shadow that finds its fulfillment in our baptisms. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, St. Paul reminds the church that while in this scene Israel is baptized into Moses, that baptism ultimately couldn't get them or any of us into the promised land. That generation that winds up on the banks of the Red Sea on the other side, they all die in the wilderness. Moses doesn't even get into the promised land. He dies outside in the hills of Moab, and nobody hears again from Moses until the transfiguration. So the baptism of Moses, the law, law law-keeping, can't heal the deep trauma caused by human sin in all of us. And we're seeing this play out in our country as one side keeps appealing to more law and order, more law and order, that'll solve it, while the other side keeps bucking against it. Moses can't save you. The law can't heal your trauma. The baptism of Moses here is only a type and shadow that finds its real fulfillment in sacramental baptism where you were baptized into a greater Moses, Jesus Christ. You were baptized into his death and resurrection by water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So then how does this all work? 
Well, we're also told that Pharaoh and his armies pursue the Israelites into the Red Sea. Let me just say, if I was in Pharaoh's army at that moment thinking about all that just happened, and then I watched the waters part, I'd be like, no, Father Jake ain't following you into there. You know what I mean? Terrible, terrible thing. I just like, nope, not going. But uh, they do. And the reason why is that Egypt, in this moment, represents everything that's anti-God. Egypt is the embodiment, in this moment, of evil. And it is destroyed, ultimately, in the pursuit of the destruction of God. Therefore, things in our lives sometimes appear to get much worse before they get not just better, but before they're made brand new. And therefore, the good news as it applies to you in the here and the now is that even in your life, when things seem bad, I mean, we've all got to die before resurrection. But when things seem bad, when the pharaohs of your life are in pursuit of you, that is not a sign of God's absence. That, rather, my brothers and sisters, is a sign of his profound presence. And we know this because of the cross. The cross of Jesus, when all the forces of wickedness, as we say in our baptismal covenant, that destroy the creatures of God, they pursued in that moment God in Christ to the cross, and they followed him right into his death and burial, and there they were defeated once and for all. And Christ's resurrection on the third day from the dead is the seal and the vindication of that victory for God's people. You see, words here in Exodus 14, they mean something. Every word is significant. And we see as the dead Egyptians and their chariots wash up on the banks of the Red Sea. It says right there, take a look, the Lord saved Israel. That word saved is the first time it's ever used in the Hebrew Bible. And it's in that manner in that manner. And the word there is Hosea, and it's associated with the noun Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves, which in English is Jesus. And Jesus is still saving traumatized slaves. Jesus is still turning his enemies into his children. You see this prophesied in the book of Isaiah when Egypt and Babylon are also brought into redemption. And this is my third point. And it's our lens carrying us forward into the future. Only Christ can save you. And in baptism, our Red Sea, the promise of the gospel is this, that Christ attaches his healing wounds to your wounds and all of your trauma and says, well, it may not go away in this age, You've been saved by grace. You've been washed in my blood through water. And my promise to you is that, whether you see it or not, hear me, I've destroyed all that evil you've inherited in those waters. And therefore, dear Christian, like Israel looking back in that moment and only could see the angel of the Lord, because of those waters, when we look back, 
we see that traumatic past now hidden in a crucified Savior, healed in a crucified Savior, and even redeemed in the light and the glory of a crucified Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.